It's Romans, the second chapter. Today I want us to, let's start at verse 1. I want us to read down through verse 16. I, I believe it is those final, about three or four verses there, it's going to be the main thing as we get to that today, talking of the Gentiles. And the Lord willing, we'll pick up then in verse 17 and see how far we get then in chapter 2 and maybe spill over into chapter 3 is the same thoughts. Paul, as he's putting all this together, uh, I want us to remind ourselves of, of some of the truths that we've already gone through as we get caught up and back up to speed in our series in Romans. So let's, let's Romans, second chapter, verses 1 through 16, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves, for you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. For as many has, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. and, and lot, uh, Father, just let your Holy Spirit speak. Move within our hearts and minds. Help us to learn more of you, more of your righteous judgment, more of sin, more of true salvation. Lord, just help us to learn. Father, I pray that all distractions will be few and, and non-existent. But let us be focused now on you. Help us to even now to fight the good fight of faith, to take up the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith, Lord. Let us hear 
I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I want to. This sermon series has just been so spread out uh, over the last couple years. And so I want to just for a moment to go back uh, to some things we talked about in April. Can you remember much of April? I have trouble remembering yesterday. So, is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's, it's always good to remind ourselves of the Word of God that's truth, isn't it? Uh, so Paul begins chapter 2 with, Therefore. So in other words, he's saying, In light of what I have just said, or in continuing with, with what has just been said, this all has a direct relationship that therefore, so I've got to go back and pull up at least a couple of verses from chapter 1 of what Paul was talking about. We, we did an entire sermon about the great theme of the book of Romans, verses 16 and 17. Let's just read those two verses because this gives the theme of this entire letter. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, in other words, for in the gospel, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the gospel is the great proclamation of God providing a righteousness for man by faith. Not a righteousness that man produces of himself or a righteousness of works, but a righteousness given by God. A righteousness given to all who by faith believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of Christ dying on the cross to pay in full the penalty for sin for all who believe. Amen? So there's our great theme of what Christ has done. Uh, we read so often, 2 Corinthians 5.21, you know this verse, for he, for God, made him, his son Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be what? Sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him, through Christ. There's righteousness in God only in Christ Jesus. Uh, then in verse uh, 18 of Romans 1, Paul explains why this is necessary. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the righteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So this is the theme of Romans, that the righteousness from God is the only way of righteousness and that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all all, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then Paul goes on to say that, that for the ungodly and the unrighteousness, there will be no excuse. Uh, let's look at verse 20 in Romans 1. For since the creation of the world, what's this talking about? <laughs> it's talking about forever. From the beginning, from the beginning, from the, from the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, whose? The Lord's. The Lord's. His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they, who's the they? The world, 
everyone, everyone, so that they are without excuse. No one will have an excuse before the Lord. And then throughout the remainder of the chapter, Paul works out this truth in this horrendous description of of the unrighteous. And, And Paul states that God has abandoned them. You can go back and read this. Uh, for yourself, read chapter 1. He has abandoned them. He has given them up to uncleanness and vile passions to commit things that are shameful. <laughs> do we see that in the world today? Oh, my goodness. Yes, we do. That God has given them over to a debased mind, a reprobate mind, to do the things that are not fitting. And, and then Paul uh, gives this long list of sins and ends with verse forty or 32 in chapter 1. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. There's some powerful words in there. Be careful what you give approval to. Let let the Word of God be your guide. Let let the Word of God be truth. And always speak the truth in love. But don't compromise when it comes to the truth of God's Word. And don't approve of things that God does not approve of. So there will be no excuse for those who practice such things, for God has revealed Himself to all mankind, His attributes are clearly seen, and those who practice these things that Paul talked about are deserving of what? Death. The wages, the cost of sin is death. Death. And now, consider this. It's as though the Apostle Paul knows the thoughts and perhaps the actual questions and the words that he's going to be getting, and and he's going to... Uh, talk to these people because you know, you know, and we talked about this before, you'll remember this, we talked of the audience that would be there and a bunch of them going, as he read the letter, as it was read, and there were reading of all those sins, that there were some that was puffing up, going, well, that's not me. That's not me. I, I I don't do those things. That's not me. That's not me. No. No, he's going to put all this to rest. He's going to put it to rest. And then Paul responds in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you are an excusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. Why? For you, you who judge, he knows their heart, practice the same thing. You're pointing your finger, you're saying, that's not me, but it is you. It is you. You are inexcusable, O man. And we, and we talked about this, you may remember this. Who is the old man that this is talking to? Well, I believe, and I'm of the camp that believe, he is still talking to both the Jew and the Gentile at this time. And I say this um, in, in reference uh, to what is said in verses 8 through 11, uh, chapter 2, 8 through 11. But to those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, 
and also of the Greeks. So who's he talking to? I believe he's talking to both here. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Yeah. I believe that the Jew was there and he was no doubt thinking in his mind his case that he's going to bring against Paul and his words, well, that's not me. And, and I'm quite sure there could have been, perhaps that would have heard this, some Gentiles, some, can I say moral Gentiles? Can I, can I say moral pagans? We know people who are, are yet lost. They don't know the Lord, but they live a moral life uh, as best they can without the Holy Spirit. They, they do good things. They, they don't do a, a lot of the evil and the things that, that Paul listed there in chapter 1. They're basically a moral person, and perhaps they would be kind of like the Jew and say, well, wait, that's not me. That's not me. I don't do those things either. I'm not that terrible, horrible sinner, but they need to know that without Christ, yes, yes they are. And we know the rest of the story. We, we know that Paul is going to continue this relentless indictment upon sinfulness. Uh, here in chapter 2, and he'll continue it in chapter 3, let's just read a portion from chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. 9 through 20. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all, they have Together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps are under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. I tell you, the first three chapters of Romans, he is hammering the same thought over and over and over again. And then to put a stamp on it, verse 23, for all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here in the first three chapters that the Apostle Paul is out to totally dismantle any thought of a righteousness apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's out to firmly state that all are sinners, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all Gentiles and all Jews guilty before God. There will be no excuse from the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Paul said, Romans 2.11, 
For there is no partiality with God. No partiality. And you know the Jews, as they were hearing this, Mom used to use that old phrase, getting a little hot under the collar. Don't you know that was them? That was them. To them, this was absolute blasphemy. The Jews at that time had divided the whole world into only two groups, the Jews and everybody else. And everybody else. The Jews, the chosen people of God. On the other hand, the dogs, the outsider, those people without the law. And the Jews' attitude toward them was one of utter condemnation. They viewed the Gentile as beyond hope, with no possibility of salvation. And then Paul, in that opening, states there in, in, in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. And this hit them on a couple different levels. They felt they didn't need salvation. They were God's chosen people. And the Gentiles were beyond the point of salvation. Do you you see that? Oh, we don't need it. And they're beyond hope. They hated the message of Paul. You understand why they hated Jesus, right? Same reason. Because his message toward them was sin. You whitewashed tombs. And inside nothing but dead men's bones. They hated him to the point they nailed him to the cross. Again, as Paul writes chapter 2, it's as though he knows of the arguments that are coming and people often have... went. When confronted with sin, they start trying to justify their lives and their lifestyle. Do you find that even yet today? Yes, of course you do. If you try to talk to someone about the Lord and you know that they're living in sin, and they will do the same thing. They will will try to justify themselves and their lifestyles. The Jews would say, but Paul... How could you say that there is no partiality with God? That, 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 that we and the Gentiles are the same? We, Paul, we have the law. God gave it to us. No one else has it. And that is proof that we are His people and that we are the saved ones that, and we don't need your justification by faith. That was their position. The Jews thought that they were in an entirely separate category and therefore they must never be considered together with the Gentiles. And Paul just keeps hammering and hammering and hammering. All, all, all have sinned. So, let's begin now in verse 11, Romans 2. So I said all that to say this. Verses 11 through 13. For there is no partiality with God, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. Let me pause. This is speaking of the Gentiles. They didn't have the law of Moses. This, this, this was given to the Jews. So for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law 
will be judged by the law. Let me pause again. This is speaking uh, of the Jews in particular. They had The law had been given to them. Verse 13, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Sound familiar? Who said almost the same thing in his epistle, James. James, you know that. Let's read in James 1, verses 22 through 25. Not hearers, but doers. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I believe that there are many in the world today who think that just because they attend church, that just because they hear a sermon or two, or just because they listen to Christian music, they think they are saved. They think that they are a Christian, but it's not the hearers, but the doers. And how can you be a doer? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit, only by being born again can you be a true doer of the work. Uh, John MacArthur, let, let me quote. The person who is satisfied with superficially knowing God's Word is living a spiritual illusion. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. The person who is satisfied with superficially knowing God's Word is living a spiritual illusion, thinking they are saved when they are not. By looking in a mirror, he judges himself by himself rather than by the Word of God. That, that's it, isn't it? That's what James is talking about there, wasn't it? By looking in a mirror, he judges himself by himself rather than by the Word of God, that law of liberty. Rather than by the Word of God that he knows much about but does not take to heart. Let me pause there. For a lot of people know a lot of Bible, don't they? But it's head knowledge, as they say. It hasn't traveled that distance, as many would say, to the heart. It's not of the heart. Let me continue with John's quote. His failure to obey what he hears proves that he does not believe it or accept it. His disobedience proves that proves he does not trust in God whose word he hears. And the more he hears without obeying, the more he piles up guilt upon himself for the day of judgment. End quote. I thought... He stated that pretty well. And this is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, wasn't it? Let's go to Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. This verses you know. This, this is a story that you know. 
Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, so what's Jesus saying? Don't be a hearer only, but be a what? Be a doer. Be a doer. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was it's fall. Now, now think about the implication of that great fall. Take that to judgment day. How great a fall. Well, I heard. I heard a lot of sermons. I, I went to church. I, I listened to Christian music. I listened to 91.5. I listen to Joy FM. Great will be the fall of those who are hearers only and not doers. Depart from me. I never knew you. Again, a little quote, another little quote from John MacArthur. The doers of the law are, are those who come to God in repentance and faith, realizing that His law is impossible for them to keep apart from Him, and that knowledge of it places them under greater obligation to obey it. The true doers of God's law are those who come to Jesus Christ in faith, because the purpose of the law is to lead men to Him. End quote. What's the purpose of the law? Paul said, how would I have known sin unless, unless I, I had, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, that, all those. Let, let, let's read Galatians 3, verses 21 through 26. Galatians 3, 21 through 26. Is the law then against the promises of God? <laughs> Certainly not! Exclamation mark. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law, but the Scripture has confined... In other words, there wasn't. <laughs> there wasn't. But, but the Scripture has confined all under sin. Why? That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, under the law, under a tutor, for we are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. See, and after they have come to Him in faith, their obedient, their obedient lives give evidence of their saving relationship to Him. 
See, it's our obedient lives that give evidence that we are saved. As His Spirit speaks and we obey. It gives evidence of the fact that we are justified. And always know this, that the idea here is not that obeying the law will produce justification because Scripture makes it clear that justification comes only through faith. Not by the law, but through faith. You know, Romans 3, verses 24 through 28. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You see, these will be demonstrated to be the just by the evidence of their doing of God's holy law. The person who genuinely obeys God's word proves his divinely, proves by his divinely empowered obedience. I thought that was good. Let me, let me read that again. The person who genuinely obeys God's word proves by his divinely empowered obedience that he is saved and therefore will be recognized as justified on the day of judgment. Divinely empowered obedience. Can we obey the word of God without the Holy Spirit? Oh, we can try, and people are trying. But without the Holy Spirit, what is it? What is it? What is it? I've got down here James 2. Let's go ahead and read it. James 2, verses 20 through 26. James 2, verses 20 through 26. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? Let me pause there. Because Abraham had faith. He believed God. And it was accounted to him, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And the scripture was fulfilled, verse 23, and script and the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Well, what's he saying? Well, faith without works is dead. It goes together hand in hand. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messages and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And I believe that that is just hammering home from what he had said in Romans 2.13. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law are will be justified. So, here that this brings us down to this, that there will be some who will say, 
But what of the Gentiles who didn't have the law? And again, perhaps a Gentile in Paul's day could have asked the question, how can we be judged by a standard we didn't have? We didn't have the law. How could we be judged by a law that we didn't possess? It wasn't ours. Let me ask this. Will they be excused from judgment because they didn't have the law? No. No. And the reason Paul gives, let's go now uh, to verses 14 and 15. Romans 2, verses 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature... And some here will impose that thought of natural law, moral law, who by nature do the things in the law, these, these Gentiles, although not having the law, and again, the written law given to the Jews, are a law to themselves. <laughs> what a law? What does that mean? A, a law to themselves? Well, what does that mean? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 15 who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now, I want to read from John Piper. John is so good at, at bringing some things out. Just, just let me read. So Paul's answer to the question, how can God be impartial in judging according to our deeds if the Jews have the law and the Gentiles don't, is that the Gentiles do have the law. The moral law of God is written on their hearts. Verse 14 says they are a law to themselves. Then he says in, in the latter part of verse 15 that the evidence for this is that the moral behavior of all kinds of people all over the world shows that they have a sense of many true moral obligations. And their consciences confirm this with the conflicting self-defenses and self-accusations that are constantly being brought up in their mind. Now, let's get the whole train of thought before us from verse 11 on. This is Piper. First, Paul says that there is no partiality with God. Then he defends this in verse 12 by saying that God's judgment will fall according to how we respond to the measure of truth that we have access to. Then he explains in verse 13 that mere hearing of the law is no advantage to the Jew at the judgment day and not hearing it is no disadvantage to the Gentile because doing and not hearing is the issue. Then he explains, verses 14 and 15, that the law really is available to those who have no copy of the law of Moses because God has written it on the heart and given all of us a conscience to awaken us to this moral knowledge in our hearts. So, does everyone have the law? Well, it says God has written it on their hearts. Let, let me continue with Piper. Now here is the second great, great truth I want you to see this morning. The truth about man. All human beings have the moral law of God stamped on their hearts. 
Paul is teaching something enormously important here about human nature. Notice the wording of verse 14. And and Paul is quoting from the NESB. When Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves. The instinctively is literally by nature, which is in the New King James Version. In other words... Paul is telling us something fundamental here about human nature. This is what it means to be human, to have the law of God pressed or stamped or written on our heart. We have seen this teaching before. In chapter 1, verse 32, they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death. Then in verse 23, women exchange the natural function for that which is against nature. In verse 21, they knew God. And the point of all this is to stress that every human being is guilty before God because everyone suppresses the truth. From verse 18, and none lives up to even the demands of his own conscience, let alone all the demands of God known to him. Nevertheless, all are accountable to God and will be without excuse at the judgment day. All Jews and all Gentiles are accountable to God and guilty before Him under the power of sin. Now we are in a position to see clearly these two great truths. One about God and one about man. Now stay with me as I'm reading. I know sometimes when I'm reading you might fall away. But oh, listen. The truth about God is that He is not partial. And what God's impartiality means is that He judges not on the assumption that we all have access to the same amount of truth, but that we all have the truth we need to be held accountable. That's great. Everyone on the face of this planet has enough truth to be accountable. And that we will be judged by our response to what we do have and not what we don't have. God is so committed to this dimension of His justice that He secures it by creating every human soul with the imprint of His moral law and with the capacity to know His glory revealed in nature. He is impartial not merely with what He finds in the world, rather He sees to it that what He finds in the world conforms to His impartiality. So the second great truth about man is built on the first, namely, All human beings have the moral law of God stamped on their heart. Every human soul, as it comes to consciousness, knows that it is created by God and dependent on God and should honor and thank God and should do the things that are written on the heart and that failing to do them is worthy of death. Now, imprinted on the heart, truth, But then what does men do? Suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now think about that. Because I I don't think I've thought about, about this too deeply. That every soul has imprinted on them moral law. That there are just certain things that are in our nature all across this world that's just wrong. Killing. Lying. I think there's an imprint that these things are morally 
wrong. And because of that, let me continue with Piper. Finally, consider two implications of knowing others this way. In knowing that all have been imprinted with this Word of God that is written on their heart. Finally, consider two implications of knowing others this way. Everyone you know at work or school or in the neighborhood has the law of God written on his or her heart. Now, we pause there. You may know some, but they say, oh, not this guy, not this person, not this lady. Oh, yeah, they do. But they're suppressing it. Everyone you know knows the impartial God. And again, nature gives evidence of God. Whether they suppress this knowledge or not, they have it. They know their Creator at a profound level, and they know their duty at a profound level. God has dealt with them deeply before you ever came on the scene. God has gone before you in preparing them for Himself and His will. So here's the great implication. Therefore, be hopeful as you do evangelism. Let me pause there. See, sometimes well, I, I can't talk to that person. They're, 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 just, they're just wicked. Wait a minute, what's the Word of God say? That He has written on their heart. Everyone. Everyone. Be hopeful as you do evangelism. Not minimizing the blinding effects of sin, but also not despairing that there is no point of connection in the person you care about. There are points of of connection, listen, deeper than you ever dreamed. Speak the truth in love, and God may be pleased to make the connection between what they know by nature and what you tell them from the Word of God. And only God can make that connection, amen? It's not by our persuasive words. And the last implication is this. Beware of despising anyone. See, now this, this, this kind of hit me. Beware of despising anyone. And you kind of already know why, don't you? Because they have the law of God written on their heart. Every time you disapprove of someone, a politician, a colleague, a church member or leader, a person of another culture or race, remember that God has written His law on that person's heart and given him or her the knowledge of Himself. This is to be marveled and wondered at, not despised. Human nature in the image of God, fallen and depraved as it is, should nevertheless spread the aroma of sanctity and reverence over all our repugnance or disagreement. There is an honor that belongs to man as man in the image of God who wrote His law on all our hearts. End quote. What do you think about all that? According to the Word of God, has God written His law on every heart? Yes. Now, we 
know from what Paul has told us that many, many, many have suppressed this truth in unrighteousness. And you may not see it, but it's there. And that's what he was saying when he says you have a connection with that person. Because just by nature, a person has to admit there is something that created this. Or there is someone who has created this. There had to be a first cause of creation. And their first cause can be this blob that the Big Bang blew up, but where did the blob come from? You you keep bringing it back. Their first cause is the big blob. My first cause is God. If you're a believer, that's your first cause. Alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. There had to be something that was there always and eternal. And that's God. Now they can, they can, they can say what they will. And that blob or whatever, that's, that's their God. But they have to come down to knowing there is something. There had to be a power. There had to be some power source that caused what happened to happen. And that power, that source, is God. It's imprinted on them. God's law written in their heart. All, all, all know of God. Whether they would admit it or not, all know of Him. Nature reveals it. The creator and sustainer of the universe because nature itself reveals God to all. Uh, again, that Romans 1.20, let's read it one more time. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal Godhead, so that we are without excuse. And... God has not only revealed Himself to all, but has written, has imprinted His law on their hearts. Let's read that verse 14 and 15 one more time. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, or instinctively do, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written on the in their hearts. How did it get written in their heart? God put it there. God wrote it there. Their conscience also bearing witness. God has given everyone a conscience. And that conscience, there's that battle. There's there's the battle that goes on within the conscience of everyone, at at least at some point or in the beginning. There's a battle of right and wrong, moral of immoral, because God has written written those things on their heart. Now they su- may suppress those things in unrighteousness. They may continue on in unrighteousness and become calloused so that their conscience is seared and perhaps come to the point that God Himself would do what? Turn them over, as Paul said, to a reprobate mind, to do the things which are not Natural. Is it connecting it all for you? Everyone, everyone 
imprinted with the moral, the law of God. And so again, in evangelism, you have a connection. And as the Lord would give you utterance, words to say, try to pull it together. Has, has, you, has your conscience ever convicted you? Has there ever been anything? Maybe you have to go back to when you were a child. Did your conscience ever, oh, I shouldn't do that, I shouldn't do that. Did you ever have that? Well, let me tell you what that was. You see? Let me tell you what that was. That was God. He imprinted that on you. Let me tell you about this God. Because you had that back then, you didn't know nothing. But for some reason, you had that conscience that was battling you. And perhaps as you got older and you kept doing these things that were wrong and that were wrong and that were wrong because they, they felt good or they were, you, you liked it. And that conscience, is, it's, it's been in that battle and now it's, it's become calloused and worn and doesn't speak to you much anymore, but it's still there. You see, there's a connection. And, and Ma, take that, take that of what Piper said. Re- remember that everyone has been imprinted. So even the vilest politician that you know, and I have probably said of some, I despise that person. Why doesn't God just take them out? Because there's hope. There's hope. As long as there is breath, there is hope. As long as there is breath. See, now, I've tried to make this my prayer instead. Oh, Lord. Oh, man. Reveal to them that which you have imprinted in them. Let them be overwhelmed by their conscience. Let them be overwhelmed, overwhelmed by just knowing, even by looking at nature, that there is a Creator and that there is a God. And so, Lord, begin that work in them. Draw them to yourselves. Open their eyes. <laughs> that's, that's a better prayer than Lord take them out, isn't it? That's, that's a better prayer. Because all know of God. And again, they may have suppressed it, but it's there. God has imprinted it on them. All know. And, and I want to close the sermon because I don't know who may listen to this or, or even who is here today. I want to end with just that question I ask. And huh, I'll probably ask this every, every sermon. Because it's the difference between heaven and hell. It's that division of the two categories of all humans on this planet. It's not Jew and Greek. It's saved and unsaved. It's believer and an unbeliever. That's the division. And so you do, do you believe? By faith unto salvation, do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? John three fourteen through 19 And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, be lifted up on the cross. Why? That whoever believes in Him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Who's that talking about? Jesus Christ, the light of the world. That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. You see. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. You see, Paul is setting all this up in the first three chapters. No, he's going he's to lay it out. He's going to unpack it as he keeps going. And here's what it would get to chapter 10. He's going to say this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Let me pause there. He keeps saying it over and over and over again. There is no partiality with God. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1, 16 and 17. One more time. Apostle Paul, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. There's no partiality, you see. For all who call upon Him. All. If they call upon Him, for all who believe. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That is written, the just shall live by faith. For those who believe the message of the cross, it becomes for them the power of God unto salvation. But for those who do not believe, that John 3, verse 36, He who believes in the Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on Him. You see, oh unbeliever, you, you don't re realize it, but the wrath of God is written and upon you. Why? Because you have not believed. You have suppressed the truth of God in your life. The truth that God imprinted on you, you have suppressed it. Oh, that, uh, that the Lord would open your eyes to truth and would shine light into a dark place. And bring life where there is nothing but death and darkness. Wrath for the unbeliever. But blood bought mercy for the believer. Wrath for the unbeliever. But blood bought mercy for the believer. 
Romans 5, verses 8 and 9 as we close. That God demonstrates His own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Put yourself in the verse. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, you shall be saved from wrath through Him. (laughs) What are you saved from? You're saved from the wrath that will one day come to all unbelievers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I give You thanks for Your Word. For Your Word is truth. Your Word is the only absolute truth that is found on the face of this planet. So, Father, I, I pray that we have been faithful to just speak truth today. Just let Your Word speak. And then, Father, if I misspoke anywhere, I just pray within the hearing that, that you, you fixed it. That within the hearing, that, that, that you translated it into what it should have been. So, Father, just speak to hearts and minds. Father, if, should there be someone who has listened to this, who is yet lost, who is yet an unbeliever, who yet your wrath abides on them, Oh, Father, I pray that You would have mercy. That You would open their spiritual eyes that they might see truth. That You would open their ears that they may hear truth. That You would shine light into a dark place. Oh, Father, that You would give them faith that they might believe. And that in believing that, Lord, that You would grant them repentance as they would would confess their sin to You. So, Father, do a work that only You can do. A miracle of salvation in a heart. And so, Father, for for those of us who have received that miracle, (laughs) we didn't deserve it. We were all sinners. We were all enemies of You, Lord. And And yet, by grace, by grace, You extended mercy to undeserving sinners. You covered them by the blood of Your Son. And Father, we give You thanks. We give You thanks. And so, Father, For the born again, help us to live each day in recognition of what You have done and what You are continuing to do on the face of this planet and what You are continuing to do in bringing others to Yourself. So Father, let us not despise those. Let me not despise those. You have imprinted Your law upon their heart. But Father... Help me to have compassion. Help me to pray for them. Help me that as as You would give me opportunity, that You would give me the right words to say at just the right time so that perhaps, 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 that that You have imprinted on their heart and that that You would ask me to say that You could use 
in bringing someone to saving faith. So Father, help us to live for You and to always be thankful. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.